flat black plastic people thanks for listening support the station support your community do the right thing Scopia. Updated every three parsecs. Timstesseract.com. Timstesseract.com. So you want to be a comic? It's not as easy as we make it look. But that's because Mutiny Radio has eight hours a week of open mic stage time for all your comedy workout needs. Strain those improv muscles every Sunday from four to six at Getting Sketchy with David Stolowitz. Press out those new jokes every Monday, six to eight on Joke Workshop. Birds, right? Where on the other hand, geese... Right? They're only crime equally as mean. Eddie like the truck's top bottle dropped sunside in a weathered balloon shot up to the side of an aisle like those who follow down a highway towards the skyline oasis of puddles to smack her at. It was that kind of day again. And by day I mean the middle as is the maths of night and this is that and another for the quiet quite ledger of vertical drops for a robot to read to you and another and auto the all around roundness of all city the velo kind of cheese that boxes cook for the dips to chip away at and the meter sticks into it and makes a spicy splashed up bit of ooze to enjoy. For what else is there? Leisure is our pronoun tonight. And we name it thus so as to utilize the measure of bars and beats and treasure to bury for later as in the coin termed paper you neglected to write the evening before dew drops bonders a muddy sandal toad continuation of a runner on sentences in a jail cellular conversation which a copywriter turned you on to. Like a car keyed for digital entry in an age of golden ratio Fibonacci, the petal rose as grows on you, tattoo lady. What was her name again? came a quiet whisper across the room where needles drew and women showed their buttocks to other women to tauntle for, if that were a word, and it may be just and those drawings, where did you get them from? They are from a notebook I've been meaning to keep yet keep losing, as in my mind. She flipped through the art book, look here's another. Do you think that would look good here? Your other buttock. Yes and slightly to the left this time, see if I raise like this, and I'm on my side, you know. Well, for the... Shoot. I lost another one. That's the third needle this week. I've got to buy myself another set, but I've been using this one since the 80s. You know I draw on Mount Claire before her movie career. Remember she was all up into it and said it would never end. It was her buttock too. Funny choice of wordings. She had me right up there. Up where? Asked the notebook women. Oh, I see. She looked at the pictures Ava was showing her now. In any event, yes she's beautiful, and I never saw the films. Stag were they? Kind of dark lines there, don't you think? And what's that? Just that. It's just a star with an arrow through it. Clever if you're into a Cupid's way out of town, as she was. Well she was my invention. 
She come in during the middle of the week and let me draw and pay me in tips from the movies and we'd have a chat about what was next and next too, and sometimes we'd go in the backhand, well she was she and I was me and it was good to see her from all sides. And so the women lit up, her cigarette, and flipped through the book that was being handed to her, as Ava drew more on her right buttock and began to hum. It was a tune, out of, and slight and they took their time away from each other and carried on in their minds. Mount Clare was flipping out, and the book in front of this young woman. Flip flip. And flipping. She's flipping people off there. And flipping over there. And over, and over there. And all over. What a spread. And what a book. She looked at the back cover. Nine and ninety-nine cents for this one. That's not bad for the eighties. I should get a bear. Like this? Ava turned her head up. Like you want that here? She motioned at one of the images from the book and pinched her patron's ass just a bit, and winked. Oh sure. I'd like a bit of Mount Clare, and some more about how she was. If that's part of the bargain it was. She looked at her arm a bit. Following the curves which had been drawn by her own hand in fire times and squared as in the city where she fled in a summer not far from the swelter that tripped it from her profession, which was high finance, so to speak. And that comes with a smile, if you're interested," said a now positively gleaming young Ava, and she put her hand on the notebook and closed it. And closed doors, for an afternoon, the two enjoyed a bit of by Mount Clare, towards an in and around and about spiral and twists in the back and roomy sectional couched plotter which was the shop where pleases were ranged, like Cupid in the star. Dot. Oh carry on with it, then, I'll take more of that any day. Evening. Here's my number. The paper read with A+, as in from Europe, or thereabouts, in the 31 range, if that was accurate, and it was and she began window shopping herself, to understate an understanding. And she was eyed wide, with the rest of her, and shop she did. From the inside out. Slash slash. The cobble streets where shoemakers cobbled shoeries is our next road stop to a man who is also shopping in the lives of facts and measures to dress as successor to a planet, just up the road, and to the left, and left to his own devices was he, outside in the rain where anything could have usually did, on his watch, happen. He looked at his watch, watched, and watched we was. He was followed eastwardly and down a bit until he was noticed and there was a bit of closure in and some cars began to pull around and other men got out of cars and began to walk towards the man, all the while the man stopped, to gently see what was moving and in which direction, and to see who stopped and who was near. And the nearest to him pulled out a packet of papers, neatly tied as in a manila envelope, and tucked it under his arm. You'll want to come with me. Shall we take a walk? A bit of a pause, a slightly uneasy, our character, looked, and turned with the man to have a conversation, and they walked you know, you left us up last winter, we have the pictures you know. It was a crazy run finding you, you're not so easy to spot when you're not making waves like Geneva, are you? Do they all make it out? Asked the man. Yes all but three, we have them. They're safe and within means and agreed to help us find you, if you can find them came the reply. Oh, I see, and that was what they told me this morning as well. I declined. Of course you did, that's why we're... I mean, I'm here. Yes the cars. Not so obvious that anybody would notice that down the corridor, 
Eh? All shopping at Marks and Spencer again? I mean the budget reads like a show stocked by one and the only, what was her name again? Penelope. Yes she runs the numbers and thought we'd all get new coats if we found you. Clever, look this has enough pockets to line yours, and etc. Here. Take the envelope. I've got to get going and wanted to give you time to read and such. And the bridge is over there. I suggest you take a stroll and give it some thought. And if you don't jump over the side of that bridge, I'll take it as read that you're in and we can get on to business. Take it gently, Mr. Gent. Drab was his humor, read to the collage of photos from the Spy X and tucked and bobbed away at the London fog he had worn himself. Page 11 is the one we want and he walked away. Dot. Leafling through this dossier was like a seeming seemingly of a party he was at just last year. All dead or alive, as per usual. He looked closely at one, ticked it out from between the pages, folded it into his pocket and tossed the rest over the side of that small bridge that was meant as a joke, but was perfect for recycling these matters, like water under a bridge, no less. He twirled gently and moved on forward and on to his next stop, with a telephone. Dot. The phone chimed dot dot for twelve and a half minutes. The operator was listening. You could hear her breathing. All right in there Mavis? Got enough toffees to last the conversation this was her exchange and she knew the party he was trying to reach. She out you know. Went down to the pub half past, you can still find her there she just rung up Pete and they're all on their way about to their next stop, if you can catch her. Thanks Mavis. You've saved my life on this one and I'll send more toffees when I get out of the aisle. Click. Notebook under her arm. Man on the other, the young women walked out the pub and into a black cab. They rode into the city evening, with music from Bolero playing lightly on a stereophonic speaker dial-tuned radio program. And this is Radio 11, the driver turned down the volume. So it's West End again, eh? You client. All right, it's just up into that house, there. He pointed. And when you get it, you'll need this bottle of Dom and that's your entry into the back room, get it. And get it. We have 25 minutes and you should finish, or he'll finish you, and me. And I'll be round to pick you up, on time. Right? Right, she got out with the bottle and walked up to the steps, stepped up and took her key out. She jiggled her bosom in the lock and fingers the bottle of champagne just gently enough to remind herself that this was her job of jobs tonight. And she looked good. She peeled up her dress and showed her garter to the driver, winked, and rode in on the bottle towards the rear of the flat, and her client's client client. Dot. James sat up from the comfort of his suede couch and couched his cigar between his lip and breathed out. He took the bottle from the young women he knew as Claudia would you like a glass oh it's chilled but you're hot here he poured two glasses clicked them himself and handed her one which she held up to the artwork on the eastern wall it's nice she said to the artwork reminiscent of Rampart or that other one you know her accent was gently dumbed down for this one she knew it was and was she stammered Good one, she thought to herself. Yes, I forget myself with that one, which is why we're here, again, right? To forget ourselves and get ourselves, on, in fact. Or was there another matter you came about? I keep coming, back and forth, 
For you and the plug, you know the show? Got any interests this time I should know about? I mean last time was a surprise. And a good one. Yes interest, high-heeled interest like the bank rolled Royces of Pottery Barnyard animal cookies glistened softly in a chewy ooze of sauntering sonder muck pie jubilee between cold winter sheets to the wind galloped velvet candied apple smotter. What? She learned that from Q. She bonged him on the head and smiled, she took some rope out of pocket, motioned, and tied him up a bit, to her pleasure, and then took out a pair of handcuffs and fixed his shoes to the chair picked up the remainder of the bottle of champagne, and poured it into his mouth as he smiled expectantly. The bottle was of course drugged, and his smile turned into a half grin as he began to look as if he was having a stroke. He seemed alright. Just couldn't get on with moving any, and she pulled a bottle of pills from her purse and left it by his chair. Just enough for now, I've got to get on with getting off from here now. Let me just take a few notes and I'll be off she reached into his breast pocket and took his wallet, with some loose notes which seemed fresh and currenty. And a small pouch with a diamond, of sorts. This is a bit more my speed she eyed the lattice structure as it gleamed and pulsed a bit as she brought it close to some power in her purse, I won't be back again. But the gents will to finish up. Best of luck with them. Their light staff tonight, shouldn't hurt your feeling too badly. She picked up her dress, snapped her garter at him and clicked the door closed behind her as the car pulled around and she hopped into the back seat this time, with the very berry sort of a man she'd been looking for all evening. The map opened up between them as peaks and valleys in the legend too, golden and blissed right up for a tremor of a ride downtown, and around the bend, bent up slightly and to the left. Driven home, for the nowity of sake, and shaken gently as in gentlemen, and jacked slightly without a boozy under, but plucked and swirled, until they were fast asleep, and the sun horizon hit the other side of the planet again, for this another day in the continuation of continuity. The preceding episodic climatoidal fries modastical trollop portion of Oya's had been whizzed up the middle ground of wired magnetics for the very purposes of proposed time-space displacement and should be willed and rendered thusly on your papers and screened lightly. Photoshopped is for Windows and the Mac truck stock great and grated for cheese on and a finish for your evening as well. This is Aka Q and we bid a fair fair and well, from this Radio 11C3W. She said
the next one. Blondie was with me for a summer. He flirted like a maniac, but I wouldn't buy it. I'm weak and he was so persistent. He only had to have me because I put up a fight. Oh, God, the boy had such an ego. He liked to talk about himself all day and all night. You would think it's such a lady killer, but you were nothing special to you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today it's Friday, January 29th, recording at home today as there is a power outage at Mutiny Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, so yeah, we're broadcasting out of uh, San Francisco, which is on Ramatouche Ohlone land. And for more information, please go to native-land.ca. And also for more information, you can check out our webpage at weeklyrev.org. And there is a land acknowledgement tab, and there we have a lot of resources as well. So starting off the show, I'm going to share an interview that I did back in December with Alex Hanna and Malika Ahmed, and that'll go a little bit more than an hour. And after that, we've got some more music and other information for you. So thanks again so much for tuning in. And again, for more information, you can also check out weeklyrev.org. And uh, here we go. Yeah, well, thanks so much for joining us here. Uh, if you'd like to introduce yourselves. Sure, I'm Alex Hanna. I'm a senior research scientist on the ethical AI team at Google. Okay, uh, my name is Malika Ahmed. I am a linguist and I was on the show a year ago and I am in the same position, which is to say, anybody's listening, please hire me. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Love it. Well, it's nice to be talking with the, with the two of you and um, one of the, I guess the, the main thing we'll be talking about today is uh, content moderation. And thankfully, um, there's a video that was uh, shared that the two of you put together that um, I would recommend that folks check out. And I learned a lot from it. So we'll be providing a, a link to that um, on our, our website, which folks can find at weeklyrev.org. And it's called 100 Lines in the Sand. So we'll be providing information about that. And I thought we could start off by perhaps talking about the, um, whoever would like to go first, uh, just about talking about what got you involved with content moderation or what made you interested in learning more about it. Okay, so um, what got us started in content moderation is that for a period of about seven months, I worked as a content moderator. And um, Alex, she works in like AI ethics and this, um, 
the fields have recently had quite a bit of overlap. Um, yes, Alex was recently requested to come on to do a keynote for this workshop on online abuse and harms. And she very kindly was like, Malika, how about you join me? And, and I did. And that's how we got into, that's how we made this keynote. But like the, yeah, and before that, I mean, we had both been interested in aspects of content moderation, but I would say this keynote kind of like honed us in on the topic in a different way um, that it hadn't in our personal research or work. Because, you know, after working in content moderation, I was okay with never touching it again. <laughs> I can understand. It's, I would imagine, I mean, I, I don't have firsthand experience, but from talking with folks who have done that work, it just seems so difficult. I feel difficult is not even a, a correct word to really fully grasp all of it, but it just sounds like very grueling um, and emotionally charged work. Yes. <laughs> These are good words for it. <laughs> You've captured the essence. Yeah, I think, and I, I think thinking about it too is, you know, I, I had become friends with Maliha at that time and um, it was kind of fascinating hearing about it from the quote unquote AI ethics space. Um, I use AI ethics in like kind of a tongue in cheek <laughs> manner right now. Um, and as, actually, as someone also should always be tongue in cheek about anybody that calls themselves an AI ethicist. Um, but that's, we can touch on that later. Um, and I think also because sort of in a parallel work, that I've, I've been doing um, in my current position, the things that I look at are around the um, training data that goes into AI and machine learning mm. and understanding kind of like where they come from. Right now, the people that use them sort of just grab them for wherever and then they put them through some kind of like annotation process. Um, and that data annotation work looks a lot like content moderation work. Um, and sort of how the organizations are structured, like how they outsource it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, and this is something I think you're going to realize more and more talking to Maliha. And so, um, yeah, so I'm doing that work, you know, inspired us to sort of do this talk and, and, and to really kind of focus on some key points and takeaways for what folks should understand about content moderation work and um, kind of the dimensions of policy and, and how it could be different. Yeah, there was certainly quite a lot that I, I learned in the video, certainly, and in terms of like the, the outsourcing and the, the hierarchy, it seems, which seems to unfortunately be a part of so many different business models as well, where the folks at the top who are making the decisions have no idea what actually goes into doing the work and creating the product. And then when they're held to account for the uh, reactions and um, from what the uh, result of what happens, they end up having no, no skin no in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no real accountability. They're able to just push off the consequences. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, okay, I think it's important for us to touch on what happened this week that uh, we're kind of like coming from. So mm -hmm. Alex's boss or ex-boss, Tamit Jimbrew, uh, just got fired from Google uh, oh. over some absolute bullshit reasons um, oh. yeah 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 and so i mean what happened and this is this is sort of the take on <laughs> AI. Ethics. um it, it 
but I mean, uh, just to give you background, I mean, what what Tanit had uh, so Tanit was my was my manager as um, as Millie has had said, and she's best known. She's a refugee from Eritrea, um, mm -hmm. and you know has in in she's known for many different things in the, in this space. One of the things that I think she's most known for is this paper in 2018 that was published with Joy Bulamwini called Gender Shades, which showed that facial recognition works really much more poorly for um, Black women. And so they um, had shown that it has like these very different rates, error rates. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so, and that has provided some kind of entree into you know, the work around facial recognition bans um, in San Francisco, in Oakland, in Somerville, in Boston, and has gotten a conversation about, you know, nationwide facial recognition bans. Yeah, so uh, her work has, like, direct implications on our personal lives, and mm -hmm. uh, she, like, the way that she got fired and, like, a lot of the ways that, um, blame got placed on her for things that weren't in her control or weren't her fault. Um, like, I mean, we saw a lot of parallels to, um, to our keynote. Um, one of the things that she got um, sort of in trouble for was that she had sent out this letter to um, a list of like women and allies within Google. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, if you haven't read the letter, it's a really good letter. And one of the things that she says in it that really re um, resounded with me was um, she told people that they should stop doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work that the only way forward for companies to be held accountable is ex through external, um, yeah, external pressures. And that's something we mm. do cover, you know, uh, with regards to like YouTube and Facebook, like the only pressure that they actually listen to is external. Um, we strongly advocate like creating those external pressures in some ways, like through red, like regulating agencies and stuff. And the other thing that was sort of like the thing that they also used as a kind of a cudgel was she published this paper on um, what were called large language models. So these are models, these are AI models that basically ingest a huge amount of text data. And then they generate like they generate text or they change text. So you might have seen some stuff on the internet where like if this is like, this sort of generates fake text. Um, but it's like trained on a bunch of data. You don't really know where it came from like Reddit and like Wikipedia. Like Reddit's a trash fire, and like Wikipedia is oh, mostly but like data yeah. that's just not curated at all. Basically, yeah, it's mostly it, it's mostly written by men, and they also pointed out the environmental costs of these models, training these models, and mm -hmm. so this has been, which is stuff that they're they're not they were actually weren't the first people that wrote about this. There's actually been some people that wrote about this before, and so kind of those two things, kind of the initial. It's sort of like the one two. This is sort of what they pinned pinned her firing on, and and then sort of the Jeff Dean, the head of research at Google, has just been sort of gaslighting us the entire time about one she got fired. They had a meeting today that they invited uh, all the whole black Googler network, and then they like found a black VP who would like teach like who would like talk to the black Googler network and. They have these, they use this like very like 
language of healing. It was really like being gaslit. And it's like uh, they're saying they didn't do anything wrong. So what are we yeah. healing from, guys? <laughs> yeah. So oh. yeah, exactly. So they were in oh. even the language around like, oh, we need to, you know, there's like a, you know, I don't want to say too much because, you know, they they already sort of basically threatened us. <laughs> um, right, but with it, with other uh, stuff. So like, yeah. It, yeah, basically like it's just sort of like continual gaslighting. Um, yeah. And 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 um, of um, of like black people in Google, black women, and so um, yeah. So it's it's so oh and 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 so the way that it actually went down is I got an email at like ten thirty four on December second with my manager's manager's manager VP. This is ten thirty four p.m. <laughs> yeah, ten thirty four p.m. at night. Uh, Eastern Eastern time. I'm in I'm in Ohio right now visiting my family, mm. and they, um, you know, the VP said, um, "Your boss has tendered her resignation. Um, you know, you um, like please continue doing your strong work or whatever." And so I thought, oh, she's just you know, okay, like I understand it. There's a lot of bullshit here. <laughs> I yeah. thought about quitting a lot, and then um, and then. I texted her and she's like, oh, I didn't resign. And so like, so it was complete different <sighs> things. And there's, I mean, if you want to go to the, there's a whole kind of FAQ on what happened um, that you can find if you just Google like medium, Google walkout, um, or if you can put that in show notes or something. And there's a petition. Yeah. Um, can you please but, just repeat that? Yeah. Google, um, Google medium walkout. Google medium walkout and look at the account. And you'll find the account that's Google Google Walkout.medium.com. And okay. Um, okay. yeah. And like the first article, um, they're kind of on like setting the record the I mean the first two setting the record straight and then standing with Dr. Sameet Jabru kind of lays out what happened. And so, mm. you know, right now, I mean we had huge support in this since like we launched this petition. It has twenty two hundred public Googlers signing it actually has or twenty two hundred not public Googlers but twenty two hundred Googlers signing and over three thousand people in industry. It's actually right now it's like thirty five hundred in industry. In oh wow! So this petition already has about six thousand signatures. Um, Absolute outpouring of support, which was so heartening to see. Yeah, so it's been really heartening to see this solidarity. Um, I mean, I think like kind of goes further. I mean, in conversations. Just to bring it back to the original conversation about the needs for independent research around things mm -hmm. like content moderation and technology, um, the need for um, the need for kind of like academic freedom, but also the fact that like these companies just have too much power, and you know, like <laughs> just a, in in any kind of effort. And uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for listeners. My cat Anna just walked into the shop, <laughs> and Malia is at my house right now. So, <laughs> and sorry, I got very excited to see uh -huh. baby girl. <laughs> she just she woke up and she was uh -huh. like, ah! <laughs> "Sorry, uh -huh. I'm sorry." I have a couple of cats over here who are sleeping, so I'm sure if and when they wake up and make an appearance, I will also Amazing. make a okay, excited gesture. I can't wait. Um, 
Sorry, that was uh, that was completely derailed. You know what? We can cut out the audio. It's okay. Oh my god. Oh no, it's fine. It'll be just. Yeah, I just kind of usually play it through. Yeah. Like um, <laughs> oh, and, uh... but yes. Yeah, so the way that we were kind of tying this back to the original is. Uh, in reference to a lack of corporate accountability, um, as well as mm -hmm. the fact that, um, like, we see a lot of parallels between the two, um, because um, they created a distance between themselves and Tamit, uh, in a in a not dissimilar way to the way that higher ups, like principals and agents, right, like um, the way that Sundar Pichai creates distance between himself and like YouTube content moderators, right? Like you see the mm -hmm. parallels, but the difference is that Tamit is uh, very high profile. She is famous worldwide. Um, mm. She's got a lot of outspoken support, well as like, generally moderators don't have that. This was something that Tamit was talking about as well on her Twitter, uh, when it's like, okay, well, here's this woman with like demonstrated, um, like long history of being an absolute genius. Um, and this is how she gets treated, right? Um, how do people get treated when they do not have her her stature, her publicly known? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that was another reason that we were like, oh, okay, it looks like content moderation is something important to look at. Because, um, so we talked about outsourcing to other com countries, but another thing is like, have, like, I worked through two different companies that until I worked for like the company in question. So like YouTube um, contracted their work out to Accenture and then Accenture contracted their subcontracted their work out to another company. And that's the company that I worked for. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was a way of creating abs like just complete deniability. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's, Ugh. there's like different reasons why companies at least sort of say they, they do that. I mean, you know, the kind of rationale tends to be on like, you know, this sort of language that management loves to use on quote unquote flexibility, um, being able to like hire and be flexible in different kind of workforces. Um, they also try to shunt it to the degree, uh, something around scale and scaling. Basically you mm -hmm. try to, you have to hire out all these people who are sort of local to the, to the context to do this, but that's actually not really why they do that. I mean, they do it because it's cheap labor. I mean, it's a sort of in, in they do right. it because of economics. They also do it because of legal liability. Yeah. Um, and right. so, and, and you would actually, having to provide benefits. Yeah. And if you were actually, if you were actually like concerned about like getting it right in these different locations, it would actually, you would actually do a few different things, right? You would actually, bring some of it in-house um, to actually be connected with the quality of that. You would also have these offices in many more different locations. Um, I work right now, actually someone that Tamit was gonna work with, and he just came to Google for a year as a visiting researcher, was um, a researcher named um, uh, El Mahdi, and um, I forget his surname, and his, um, let me let me search it real quick on on Twitter. <laughs> His name is uh, yeah Ahmadi Al, Al, Al Mahamdi, and and he uh, you know one re one reason you know something he's focused a lot on has been on how there's such a disproportionate kind of enforcement of moderation on um, 
and Twitter and YouTube, and you have to know a bit about like a UAE and like in and like Moroccan politics and like kind of regional politics. Mm. I mean, any any kind of like person in who is versed in in the in like Middle East could tell you these things in kind of regional politics, and um, you know these are things which actually get quite ignored, and there's not enough linguistic competence on this. Um, and so linguistic what? Competence, like people mm. don't actually speak the languages in which this like harassment and abuse mm. is happening. Um, you also, we also saw <laughs> this. We also saw this in uh, there's a a data scientist from Facebook that just posted a thing um, a couple of months ago. It was talking about these like actions that were happening and all this abuse that was happening in places in in different places. Um, in different places that were like in the global south and um, it was basically like up to her to like find these things um, and you know one person who's overworked and like overstressed on what this is happening but they don't actually care about the context or have enough competent people doing what it's doing so I mean that's that's the same thing that's happening there's the kind of excuses that are being used for this outsourcing are pretty shallow mm-hmm. and um you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's you know, this kind of analysis that I think has to do with how much money it costs, the political economy of it, as well as um, kind of like the distance that they can do from a liability uh, perspective. Mm. It reminds me of about maybe right before the election in November, um, I talked with a couple of drivers who were affiliated with uh, folks voting against uh, no on Prop 22. Or voting. Can you hear me? Okay. And uh, it just sounds like so similar to like these big companies like Uber and Lyft who would do everything they could in order, like including rewriting or creating legislature that would ensure that their workers did not have basic rights. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, one of the things Alex was actually working on uh, voter outreach for that, like um, phone banking. And one of the things mm. that we found out is uh is that apparently in order to keep working for some of these companies um like if you're an instacart driver or whatever you would have to press like yes i support it in order to keep yeah. working and then they would yeah. use that as actual data instead it, it's coerced such like, bullshit it's, it's yeah horrendous it's like disgusting. for a lot of people this is just their livelihood like what are they gonna do say no and then starve yeah yeah This is like, yeah, this is also, I feel like this is also kind of the backlash that uh, content moderators receive. Like, Mm. I'm minorly concerned because um, I I think that everything I'm saying about YouTube is protected, Uh, but I did sign an NDA when I was with them. I think I couldn't find it, but I must have, right? Because like, they don't make you watch child porn without first making you sign an NDA. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) wait. Um, but like this. Oh no, it's like, yeah. And then like, there's also like, here's Alex and like, she's trying to be defensive of her boss, but that necessarily involves shitting on Google Um, because Google did a shitty thing here. And what that means here is that here's Alex and she's like, okay, I'm going to defend my boss. But then also like, oh, well, what if? What if I do it and I'm also afraid of getting fired? Of course, yeah. 
Well, I mean, it's like, I feel like they have these actions in order to try to scare other people. Like, oh, we're going to, if this one person speaks up to us, then we're going to ask them to leave. And then in a way it would just, yeah, it's awful. I also wonder, I remember like when Google started, I thought it's, tagline was don't be evil and i'm wondering what happened they removed they it. just they did yeah they just couldn't live with themselves anymore i guess they were like I, yeah when i was working at youtube my um like they have google umbrellas that you could borrow um and uh it's it's so it's an umbrella and then around the whole circle it says uh, don't be evil don't be evil um and uh my wellness coach was so disturbed wellness coach First of all, what a fucking joke is a wellness coach. Anyway, but my wellness coach uh, was like disturbed by it because it's so ominous and like, don't be evil. It just, it's, there's something about it that's off putting if you don't know that this is like, you know, from 2005 or whatever. Um, yeah. But the thing is, by then they'd already removed it. So like, it was. And I didn't realize. Yeah, his reaction when I told him that, oh, yeah, that's not, there's like slogan anymore i mean also like in the uh <laughs> in the uh 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 it sounds it, it goes from a different mood i mean i don't know which mood it is because you are the linguist and not me but it becomes um it becomes um a, a, a more from a code to a to an imperative to the like content moderators now the mm. content moderators are being told like not to be evil rather than like it being kind of like a code of conduct sort of thing i don't understand what you mean i meant like you know like one of those things there's a value statement in which the owners are saying don't be evil but then if there's just like an ominous umbrella that's like don't be evil <laughs> you know what i'm saying a literally ominous umbrella <laughs> yeah the ominous umbrella that says don't be evil maliha uh, which in this case, like, <laughs> what does that even mean? Like, they were which... supposed to say it to themselves. Yes, Why are they, they telling are. us? They should have told We have no us. power to be evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we try to be it's a lot good, of projecting, actually, I guess. Yeah, when we try to be good, it actually is like a liability on us. Yeah, I mean, we like as a content moderator, if I was to be evil, uh, that would be like letting through hate speech, you know, like, oh, I see. Which happens anyway, it seems. It happens like, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, like, it's just, it's so, like, I'm not on Facebook much. I still have a profile up, but I've been trying to, like, wean myself. However, I have so many contacts on there that it's really difficult. But I do know that it's like the whole platform itself is evil. And yep. just, it's, yeah, it's, uh Yeah. And then I think for. That... Uh, one thing that I heard about recently in the news is that there is this Russian YouTuber named uh, Stas Rhee or something like that, and he um, he basically would abuse his girlfriend for money, um, and she announced that she was pregnant, and in that video, um, or like, not in that same video, but um, this was not originally uploaded onto YouTube, it was live streamed elsewhere. But the thing that he got paid uh, money to do for this particular episode or whatever was that he and a friend stripped her to her underwear and then pushed her out onto the balcony and she had to stay there for a number of minutes. But the thing was, it's in Russia, so it's like negative degrees. And um, that's Fahrenheit for our international listeners. And <laughs> yeah, and, and when he finally went out and got her, she was not alive anymore. Um, 
and so it's like <sighs> this is a like snuff film up and people have like reposted it to youtube so many times youtube is really struggling to take it down and the like main thing they can say in their defense <sighs> is that at least it wasn't originally uploaded here at least the live occurred somewhere else which is like that's nothing that's not a defense and then um one thing that you'll notice is that YouTube's algorithms know enough to put a tag on it that this, like, you know, I, what do they say? Like, this content may be sensitive for some viewers or something like that. Like, mm -hmm. they put an age restriction or something like that on it. But they can't put, like, they can't have it automatically be taken down, despite the fact that there is a dead body in it. Like, they pull her in, and it takes them a long time. Like, he's Ugh. talking to the chat, and he's saying, oh, she seems cold. Or, like, you know, like, oh, I don't think she's breathing. He's talking to his viewers, right? This is... A level of sociopathy and like i don't know i don't know that much about computer vision and stuff but like i feel like if it can tell that this is sensitive content particularly because the titles are all like this dude kid kills his girlfriend or this girlfriend dies on camera like all the titles are like that and for them to not be able to automatically shut that down that is not a uh, that's not something that they can't control that's something that they're not controlling and mm -hmm. it's like the work's being pushed onto content moderators, but for why? Like this, this is something that could be handled. Yeah, like while I was working at YouTube, um, the um, the shooting in New Zealand when mm. the that subscribe to that guy who shot up the two mosques. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I was working at YouTube when that happened, and they immediately shunted all of the work onto this one particular team. And I worked right across the aisle from them, so then that's how I knew that. And it, it's, like, they were all, like, telling me how to see... They were like, oh, I refuse to watch the video. Like, most of them refuse to watch it all the way through. They just, like, watch enough to be like, oh, okay, so there's, like, this color carpet, this kind of door, the person looks like this. Okay, we can recognize it immediately. We don't have to wait until people start dying to figure it out. Um... But then the main, the lead of that team, um, he was, he was Muslim, he was Middle Eastern, I forget where he's from, mm -hmm. but he made himself watch the whole thing because he felt like he had a responsibility yeah. to. Yeah, that's how I felt too, like what a painful thing to do to yourself, but like that's what some yeah. of these moderators are coming from, like mm -hmm. the person who trained me, she was considered like a golden reviewer because um, her accuracy score was what they based, like, if she made a review and she called, for instance, uh, one of my, one of my skills that they trained me in was telling if someone's a minor or not, or guesstimating if someone's a minor or not, with high level of accuracy. So, for instance, um, I remember having a video where I couldn't tell if someone was a minor, and it was, uh, because they looked like a malnourished adult. Mm -hmm. they look like they could have been a malnourished adult or they could have been a minor who was like also malnourished but so like if she made the judgment that this person was an adult then everybody would go with that judgment she was considered the mm -hmm. golden one first of all on a side note in my very first week um i found out that this lady who is the golden reviewer so cr crucial to this team and this job she had to work mm -hmm. a second job as a like bartender or waitress or something just to, like, uh... <laughs> this is like the level of disrespect for even those who you are indebted to uh... 
Um, but yeah, she was also oh. somebody who was like very strongly affected by child sexual abuse imagery. Um, and so she was she was also one of those people who um, would make herself watch him so that you can so you could figure out like the kinds of advice that she gave us during training was like like very useful very upsetting <laughs> so like one of the things was like if you turn off the sound then it looks like you're watching a movie you can take yourself out of the moment and pretend like it's not real or like yeah just stuff like that or like if you're using audio cues to try to figure out if it's a minor or not then you can also shut off the video and just listen to audio and it was like recommended not to do both at the same time stuff like that so it's like mm -hmm. but she would make herself watch them so she became familiar with them so that she could like do more about them later but like i don't i don't know how much that actually like she definitely wasn't getting paid enough for it like she definitely was motivated by the mission of protecting children but the thing is yes. she shouldn't have had to work that hard to protect children like youtube had a lot of responsibility and they absolutely like fumbled the ball Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Oh, I mean, that seems to be like a common occurrence with these large tech companies. And I guess they only get so large for a reason. Yeah. Anyway. By being evil. <laughs> you know, you, you have to be, you know, generating money for the shareholders at whatever cost. I mean, that's the name of the game. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, the, the kind of, you know, one of the, I know one of the things you asked us earlier on is, you know, what, what kind of, um, you know, what, where we kind of got information about this from, and, you know, oh, where yes. we, um, and like part of it's, you know, Maliha's experience and the experience of our coworkers. And we also were watching some, uh, some um, um, talks from some former moderators um, sitting. Ooh, talking um, about the board. Yeah, yeah. So, so for instance, and there was a, this new group called the Real Facebook Oversight Board, which takes mm. its name from, you know, this the the Facebook Oversight Board, which is this external board full of kind of lawyers and academics, um, and um, zero content moderators. Zero content moderators, and they're they're the ones that kind of they're supposed to be the the ones that sort of adjudicate what happens to um, to uh, you know to certain cases, and you know. These folks are folks where, you know, like there are certain kinds of cases that get elevated and, and whatnot. And the thing is that this this like board is supposed to have some kind of external power, but it doesn't really have any power even reported. I remember that they were supposed to have these um these sort of like uh, dashboards and laptops that they were supposed to get access to. And mm -hmm. uh, like they they like couldn't even get like get the laptops. <laughs> like for some reason that they couldn't even like for some reason there was like a difficulty of like getting them laptops so it was really bizarre and there was like all these excuses and so this group the real facebook um uh oversight board is kind of a kind of a combination of lawyers and whistleblowers and they i think they're based in the uk and um you know they've had they've had a few different um uh um events on on youtube and um or public events and and so one of the one of the people that we we, we quote a lot in the talk is um Vianna ferguson and who's a former subject matter expert and content moderator and you know in in that you know it was really 
amazing to hear her talk because she was talking about sort of like the sort of um, two points and one kind of related to what Malia was just talking about was how content moderation actually, even though it's a hard job, it, there's ways to make it sustainable. You know, mm -hmm. and there's actually ways, like it's hard, but there's ways to actually make it sustainable. And that includes like, you'd have to dramatically reduce the kind of time moderators are actually working. Uh, you'd have to give them real healthcare, real mental healthcare instead of these wellness mm -hmm. coaches. <laughs> you would have to actually treat them and pay them like real employees by bringing them yes. to the house. And, you know, like Deanna, like, like uh, Maliha, like Maliha's colleague, like there is a moral commitment to this kind of work that these folks do. They do it because, I mean, they do feel like they're protecting folks from kind of the worst elements of the internet. Yes. You, you also hear this from moderators that, um, that uh, um, Sarah Roberts, who's one of the first um, scholars to write on commercial content moderation, also said in her respondents. I remember one of her respondents that said something like, I feel like this kind of mythical evil eater that's in um, I think Celtic uh, mythology. Um, mm. and, and so there's and there's such a this moral aspect of it is so like folks feel committed to it because they're like making the internet kind of like livable. Um, but then at the same time like these companies are not making it livable for these for these people. Um, so in in just getting back to the don't be evil imperative, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that imperative uh, might be written on these umbrellas, but like, I feel like if your boss is yelling at you like that, don't be evil when you're really trying not to be evil, but they don't allow you to have the tools of not to not to be evil or to actually do it with that in a way that respects your humanity and the kind of moral sensibility that you have. I will say that my boss has never yelled at me. Like my team in particular, uh, I would say that definitely the like the higher ups kind of knew what was what. Like they know this is a trash job. They're like, okay, sure. Like we're gonna look the other way when because we've had a certain amount of uh, so-called wellness time, and we were supposed to use it for so-called wellness activities. <laughs> and I have to ask. Sorry to interrupt you, but what would what would qualify as a wellness activity? Oh, uh, so our wellness coach, um, our so-called wellness coach, uh, <laughs> our wellness coach would uh, about once an hour or something hold a five-minute activity for like not all of them are five minutes, but like this is a normal example. So like every hour, there's five minutes of like going in the wellness corner and doing push-ups or doing you know physical activity or like yoga or meditation or yeah and they had a meditation room that was very very attractive they put it up really nice um yeah and yeah and then we'd go on a couple walks a day um but one thing about the wellness coach is that I always knew that I couldn't necessarily well I didn't know at first but then I knew that you can't really trust them. You can't talk to them about uh, what stuff is affecting you. Um, mm. Yeah, I had some big stuff happen in my personal life while I was working there. And I, like, I didn't feel safe to talk to them because I knew that they were basically taking notes. And if they thought it would affect my work, they would, like, go ahead and, you know, <sighs> take it up the line. And, they, you know, I remember talking of, uh, is it called EAP, Employee Assistance Program? You're supposed to get a certain number of 
like uh, therapy sessions through Google. And mm. I talked, like I found out that this was a thing and I was like, I think I could use that. And I talked to my wellness coach and was like, can you get me into that? And he was like, oh, well, you know, I don't really recommend it. And I don't remember the reasoning he gave me. It was something about the fact that it's like you only get 10 therapy sessions as opposed to finding an outside therapist. And it's like, yeah, but that would have fucking helped me. Like, are yeah, you joking? Absolutely. It would help way more than a, yeah, yeah. So wellness time, we were given, I think, if I remember correctly, it was like an hour or an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, whatever. We were given this amount of wellness time every day to do wellness activities or take to use as we wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. and every, and like, you weren't supposed to use them to go take a long lunch, but you could. And I regularly, I mean, if, if it's your time, I'm yeah, saying, your time, right? You'd be able like, to use that for whatever in a is wellness for you. <laughs> yeah. Instead That's, of something like you do in elementary school. Yeah. I would much rather go spend an extra 30 minutes to eat a burger. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I eat slow. That's the joke. But, um, but not the point. The point is, like, my uh, my higher-ups had a tendency to look the other way and not be like, Maliha, did you take a very long lunch? <laughs> like, they would generally not get on my back for small things like that, especially because I made my numbers. I, you know, I did okay at the work, and yeah, I was, I was good at the job, even though it made me feel the way it did, and because of that, my managers were definitely um, a lot... Um, yeah, I never saw them treat other people the or treat um, content moderators the way that you hear about in the news, the way that Facebook um, treats its content moderators, and they have like nine minutes of wellness time, and like everybody has to go pee at the same time. Um, uh. Yeah, yeah, or like you have a strict amount of lunch time, and then you spend a lot of it just waiting in line to use the microwave or try to use your lunch break to use the bathroom. And it's like it's just. <laughs> Uh, I did not Sounds have terrific. those problems at YouTube. I hate to be like, oh, well, well, this, these are the things that YouTube did well, because, like, it doesn't make up for the fa fact that this is what we had to see, this is how low we were paid to see it, and this is, like, mm -hmm. what they could have done that they didn't to protect us better yeah. or to make the job more sustainable. Right. I mean, I walked around an angry person for so long. It took such a long time to let go of that. I, like... I mean, I didn't even realize that it was traumatic until, like, I was triggered in January when, like, I was, yeah, I went to go visit my cousins, and she just had a baby a couple years ago, and it was my first time meeting this baby, and, like, I saw her bathing her kid, and my brain was like, oh, okay, I can't be here, and, like, I had nightmares that night, uh. like, I did over something so not, like, normal, mm. right, and it's like, you don't, yeah, I was not paid enough for that, like, this is not, <laughs> yeah, so, but here's what YouTube did right. They gave us more time. They gave, like, my particular team, they, like, our managers would generally look the other way so long as we hit our quotas for the day. And we did not have, like, 5,000 posts a day to go through. We had to do, like, I don't know. Uh, last I was there, it was, like, 400 or something, which is, like, very doable. Um, yeah. <laughs> so these are the things that make me say, yeah, it uh, a lot of the job is pretty awful and, you know, leaves long-lasting effects, but also here's the ways that they did well and they could have done better. Like, this is, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we recently, 
briefly had a Q&A session with other people and I was like, it's really weird to try to tell people, yeah, the job is looking at like, you know, horrible content or hate speech or whatever, it, but it can be made more sustainable. You can make it so it's like, because already some of the things you get desensitized to naturally, just in the course of like, like in a very mundane work way, you get desensitized. So like the fact that, yeah. Yeah, it could be made a lot more sustainable um, so that these, you know, so-called sin eaters, um, they can do their job and the sin doesn't have to poison them. Yeah. Oh. Thank you for sharing all that. That's a, that's a lot. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Glad to help. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Goodness. Okay, let's see what I mean, I just uh, <laughs> just uh, follow, I mean, yeah, I mean, in the kind of talk, I mean, we talk about the sustainability, and I mean, you know, just reiterating the sort of things that, like, you know, the kind of, you know, the kind of bring bring workers in house. I mean, this is sort of like one thing, you know, the kind of like mythical Google. Facebook, whatever tech company benefits that they have that, you know, with slides and silly shit like that, but like actually having mental health support, uh, that, yeah. would actually, that would actually be, um, you know, actually pay people, um, actually have that kind of insurance. Um, uh, you know, another thing, this is something, you know, Mary Gray suggests, and I think would also be kind of a, um, a, a good suggestion. Uh, Mary Gray studies crowd workers who do things on kind of like uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk and distributed work would be to have like a guild system that kind of like brings people together um, and, and also has like some kind of a floor for, for benefits and also kind of a floor for like what people can share about like which employers are shitty and which employers are gonna, mm -hmm. you know, and that being cross institutional as well, um, not only within one company but across multiple companies. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and 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 then also like in terms, of, we haven't really talked about the policy aspects of this, but even like you know on the on even on that on the policy side, having companies share details with themselves as kind of, you know, new and emerging threats um, kind of in this space rather than having all these different, you know, books, uh, you know, code books and instructions and policy that sort of floats around, um, you know, and, and in a really uneven way. Um, so, you know, all of these would improve um, the conditions of workers at these companies. Yeah, from what I'm really hearing is that it's just so much of a big labor issue yeah. on top of everything else too. Like there's certain, there's several pieces to it and that just seems to be an overwhelming aspect to it. Yeah, uh, one thing that I heard this week um, in terms of, to me it's uh, Dr. Jabru's um, plight uh, is uh, that once there's no more av avenues of escalation, that's when you should consider it whistleblowing and therefore like protected speech. And I mm. think that like talking about the fact that like Facebook is necessarily a worse employer in these ways 
like the fact that they're making people come back in during the pandemic what the fuck facebook like do better um so when you look at yeah that kind of stuff it's it's clear to me that this stuff is not covered by an nda there's no way to have um the employer mediate with you or mm -hmm. is it called arbitration there's no way to do that right there's no yeah there's no routes of escalation there's no way to um talk to each other and ask like okay which employer is least likely to have me be screwed later or like the fact that um yeah facebook is worse but it pays a little bit more than youtube like that's the kind of stuff that we were like thinking about while we were there because there were people who mm -hmm. switched over um because they mm. were like oh okay so this is bullshit but like maybe it would be better at uh facebook for these reasons like maybe i would be willing to do it for five dollars more an hour mm. <laughs> Um, I did want to talk a little bit, sorry for the abrupt shift, I did something that was like really um, interesting in the video that I appreciated was the, the segment when, and you've talked about it a little bit here, was just the external pressures and just ways that um, folks, whomever um, is affected by this can push back against the the actions of the higher ups. And so I thought we could maybe talk a little bit more about that to help provide both um, either folks who work in tech or work without tech, but everyone for the most part uses tech and social media in one way or another. And I think understanding how everyone can help support folks, whether they be content moderators or not, just to, to put pressure on these companies. Uh, if we could talk a little bit about that yeah okay, I mean... so these are like talking about <laughs> solutions um yeah 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 that's, yeah that's what those are called yeah, i forget about that when i'm really sad well that was definitely something that we were concerned about when we first started with the um keynote started working on the keynote where i was like you know i've got some problems but i've got zero solutions and you know the more we think about it the like we touched on it kind of briefly like i made a connection in the um keynote to the finance industry how like there's two different ways that finance is regulated and one of the ways is it directly comes into their profits right um if they don't catch fraud so i was specifically talking about fraud so in in the analog the fraud is the hate speech or like the child abuse or the you know whatever minor sexualization like these are the things that are not the content that you want to have on your site so we can call it fraud um mm -hmm. for the analog it, it like we touched on it so vaguely but the more i think about it the more i'm like yep external regulation that's the way to go so there's the internal regulation where they regulate it because it cuts into their profits then there's the external regulation where there's con consumer protections i think there should be analogous consumer protections for social media mm-hmm yeah yeah alex did you have something to say about this yeah i mean i was thinking about how we get there and <laughs> how i get, how we get there is i mean the things that i think i mean i'm you know i the kind of i was politically raised in the labor movement so i mean <laughs> the kind of ways that we get there is with collective action right and i mean i mean in the kind of campaigns that we've seen be effective against youtube are often the kind of resistances that we see that come from um, tech workers, but also tech workers that are solidar that are having solidarity with content moderator tech workers, so cross class mm -hmm. solidarity. We've also seen actually 
the kind of ways in which creators as a type of worker have come together. And so there's actually a lot of folks who are influencers on Instagram or YouTube and and yeah, when they advocate for themselves, sometimes this gets things. So we talk about life with Mac in the video, but also like, oh, yeah. but also, you know, we've also seen changes that happen on a policy level when uh, LGBT creators get together. You know, YouTube had a pretty bad problem censoring trans videos or some transition videos, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, when we see, um, we see creators come together because that is in some sense a type of platform labor and so you know i think there's a way in which there's these different groups that have that can develop different solidaristic structures and i think that's a really important to foreground i think in any kind of discussion of tech a lot of things what we think about in our conversation around tech has to deal with like privacy and i you know privacy is important let's not neglect privacy but privacy as the way it's thought about in the u.s is very much about individual individual acts, and mm -hmm. and we always and we tend to see more effective and more consequential conversations when there's multiple different people and multiple different positions um, banding together and taking actions in sol solidarity. We saw that at Google with Project Maven and the protest against Project Maven and Project Dragonfly. We saw mm -hmm. like an inside-outside strategy when Google tried to reconstitute an, an external ethics board that had the homophobic and transphobic member of the Heritage Foundation on it. The, the director. I forgot about that. That was just like <laughs> last that year. That is so interesting. <laughs> their was, attempt at ethics. <laughs> yeah, their attempt at ethics. And there was, you know, real emphasis on it, you know, and I want to shout out uh, uh, Lucia Floridi, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's a popular, uh, kind of a famous AI uh, ethicist. He was the only one of them who took a stand uh, in in um, actually resigning his post there. Meanwhile, mm. other, other the heritage people, person? Yeah, when the heritage person joined. Other people, however, did not. But that took a lot of agitation, both intern inside of Google and outside of Google. And there was some nice kind of cross uh kind of cross ground solidarities and i mean tying it back to the current moment you know finding the solidarities that we have here both with internal google employees and external ones uh and external people and kind of in that the tech tech and and, and and broader communities um google is an interesting place because it's been a place that it has a history of employee activism um mm -hmm. is maybe one of the places that has Sort of some of the most visible employee activism, but they've also used that opportunity to increase repression. There's this concept yes, within social movement scholarship called the protest repression nexus. That's this very annoying name, but it is. Um, but what it means is like this interaction between states and protesters. But in this mm. case, it is a sort of interaction between companies and internal dissonance, as the company is sort of, you know sitting aside the state as like a powerful actor. And so we're seeing these more kinds of repressions. These kind of crackdowns on, oh. on Dr. Tamit Jabru. Oh, sorry to, oh, sorry. sorry to interrupt you. It, it like, cut out for a little bit. Oh, no, 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 it, it, it cut out for a little bit. So if you don't mind oh. just going back a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. sorry, I was just on a rant. Just like 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, 
So no, we, no, but it's really interesting. Go back on the Let's go back to the protest repression nexus, and we've seen this kind of increase yeah. of repression, whether that's, well, that's not like in the case of Google, any kind of like repression, you know, they're not sending armed militias after protesters, but they are targeting them for uh, in, inconsequential acts, like sending an email or leaking or whistleblowing, things that are the ethical move when, uh, you know, when the employer is not willing to actually listen. Um, and so uh, we're seeing that escalation and then there's it's sort of a playbook that is, they're ramping up and they've been fortifying themselves internally. Um, and with, you know, being within Google, they've, they've uh, instituted a number of things like instituting community guidelines and shutting down the, like the company all hands. And I think it's sort of now the sort of, if, I mean, the, the sort of way I see forward, and I mean, that's just sort of the thing that I think I always come back to being someone, again, raised with this labor, labor, labor uh, history is, is solidarity, you know, solidarity yes. is sort of the thing that I think was where we got to go. And, uh, and, and uh, it's a hard, it's a harder path to follow, but it's the one that makes, you know, that makes this kind of change sustainable. Maybe this is uh, not super related, but why did they cancel the all hands? How is that helping? Uh, all hand just means the whole company meets, like yeah, the whole the whole company meets. So like they, you know, they kind of threw it. You know, they kind of threw. They said, uh, you know, there's too many people, uh, you know, to do a proper all hands, and um, and then they'd say like. Uh, um, you know, what else did they say? They were like, um, you know, our all hands questions are never about the subject matter. They'd always bring out some product person and they're like, you know, and so then like, you know, let's, you know, let's, uh, go and like, we're going to have separate town halls or about community culture. And of course they haven't had any, <laughs> like they only have some when the meeting they actually had today had no uh, no feedback mechanisms. The two leaders within research uh, only had a conversation amongst themselves for 30 minutes. And then they gave it to an external diversity consultant to field questions. And she even field questions. She uh, uh, told us to meditate. <laughs> Incredible, incredible galaxy <laughs> Like, wow, I was like unbelievable. Like, you can't make like, oh wow, it's just it's just stuff out of a out of a sitcom. Like, I it it's, is it's out just, of an abuser's playbook too. Like, yeah, maybe yeah. you're the one overreacting. Did maybe you think you of that? <laughs> maybe you need to meditate and take some deep breaths. Maybe if you try mindfulness meditation, you will stop noticing the boot on your neck. Have you considered that? <laughs> I, I just, Maliha, I can't. It was, oh, Alex. I was shaking in rage. Oh. And, you know, I, my, like, my heart goes out to, to, like, all the members of the Black Googler Network who are also shaking in rage when they were, when they, got a chance to speak in the call 
And so, yeah, it's just infuriating, infuriating, just absolute, absolute, like, absolute. And you all were forced ne- to sit there and listen to it? Absolute neoliberal diversity garbage, like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, what could you do? Uh, and all the questions were just furious, you know, like, so, you, you know, not only will, you know, not only does this industry sort of like, I mean, not only does this industry go ahead and disrespect its black employees and its the employees of color and queer employees, it will lean back and give you a diversity training <laughs> and tell you to breathe. I can't believe it. Yeah. And also just in terms of the demographics of the folks who are hired in the first place That's is right. already like that in itself is reprehensible. That's that's right. That that's right. The demographics Google has right now three point six percent, three point seven percent black employees, went going up from three point three percent last year, barely going up each year. Um, you know, black women within the company consistently rate the lowest satisfaction rates, kind of like something like fifty percent say they have any kind of measure of like mm. satisfaction with their jobs and i should say also Sounds like, higher than i would have expected too yeah yeah and i mean even the i should also say like just a you know kind of the shout out and and what the kind of t- like work that in the team that tanit's built like everybody on the team kind of the most diverse racially gender sexual orientation, gender identity team I've ever worked on anywhere outside yeah. of, you know, and, and and that sort of, you know, kind of like an outlier, but it's also like the kind of disrespect that they put on on her also kind of white echoes in the kind of the team that 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 she built. I mean she she created this team or she and Meg created this team with like you guys were curated, right? And they picked, like, the cream of the crop for their team, which is very... So it's like, if they throw your boss away like that, I'm sure that reverberates on you guys. Like, mm. okay, well, what am I not allowed to say? Yeah. One thing I will say, um, my... Okay, so I had two wellness coaches when I started at YouTube, and then by the time I ended, I only had one. But one of my wellness coaches uh, said the quiet thing out loud. She was straight up like, oh... Yeah, when you look around and you see that there's hardly any white people uh, doing content moderation here, it's because um, white people generally would not be willing to do this kind of work for such low pay. Mm. Mm. And I was like, oh, why are you telling me this? Because mm. <laughs> uh, in mm. that moment, I was like so disheartened and demotivated. And I, like, I had no choice but to stay in the situation. I can appreciate it now looking back that she said this to me um, because I'm sure that that wasn't something that, um, you know, would be kosher for her to say normally if she's, but it, this is the work we have to live with. Um, and these are the like, sorry, it could, you could out for a second. Oh, my bad. Um, oh no. I was just talking about the fact, or the fact that she said this to me, um, was a little piece of solidarity which I really appreciated but also like what diversity looks like um at the bottom of that hierarchy compared to higher up where Alex Mm. like Alex's team is um yeah Mm -hmm. diversity at 
her level, um, it looks like curation. Diversity at my level, it it looks like menial labor. Mm. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, okay, I guess I don't know the definition of menial. Does it have to mean physical? It doesn't, right? <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. Don't yes, think. menial labor. <laughs> yes, menial intellectual labor. Yeah. I mean, it also just makes me think about like domestic workers, to, you know, and folks working in, inside the home and how those are often like jobs that are so like necessary and yet so low paying. Um, and just the folks who end up doing it are a lot of non white and a lot of women. Yeah. And, them folks who are doing that work. And it's like the really grueling necessary work a lot of the time to and make- it looks yeah. so diverse, <laughs> so diverse uh, yeah. in a way in that, I don't know, like why people will call a whole room of Asian people from the same country diverse. Do you know what I mean? <sighs> Is that a weird thing to say? Like you'll walk, no. like a white person will walk into a room of Chinese people all from the same city in China and they'll be like, what a diverse environment. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. wait, this is, what yeah. does diversity mean to you? Diversity means race for white people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, race at all. Or like, we live in California, and California is like a majority minority state. Mm -hmm. What the fuck is a majority minority? Like, we're the majority, and they're still calling us the, mi yeah. yeah, the minority. Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh... The audacity. The caucasity. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, I really appreciate um, talking with you two. And I thought if we can either start to wrap up, um, if there's anything else you wanted to share that we didn't quite get to, or anything else that was like also in the video that you have like learned since then or wanted to add. Um. Um, okay, I'm looking over your questions real quick. Um, yeah, I would say the, um, hmm. we would push a lot harder if we'd felt the same way when we were writing it as we do now on the mm. solutions, because some of the solutions become really clear. Um, yeah, like I said, with Tamit's uh, letter to the women and allies, it's <laughs> like, you know, here's this, like, we came up with this analysis on our own, and then here's somebody else with a much higher level perspective of what's going on, and she's mm -hmm. saying the same thing as us. It's clear, external pressure is the way to go. Like, that's, uh, any work that comes out of this content moderation, or, yeah, content moderation keynote is gonna push a lot harder on the fact external regulation is the way to go. Like, you know, we're, we're, <sighs> yeah, um, yeah but you can't rely on the government but you have to push the government and try to get them to yeah work. yeah Absolutely. yeah so with regards to like um what our listeners for this podcast can do um i guess it's like if you have the power to help work towards solidarity in these industries let's try to build something together mm -hmm. i just want to give a shout out to different kind of solidaristic organizations here um, you know, yeah. shout out to Tech Workers Coalition, um, shout out to Data for Black Lives, shout out to um, Collective Action in Tech, 
uh, shout out to Logic Magazine. If you're a tech worker, they're starting a, a tech worker school for organizing. Mm. Um, find it at that's awesome. Lot, yeah, yeah. To search Logic School, uh, that's that's probably dope. I've, I've seen the um, folks. Um, I've seen the folks involved, and it's just really amazing curriculum. The the person that runs it, Sao Sao Wei Wang, she's uh, they're dope. Um, yeah, it's a twelve week free course, so yeah. please go apply. Yeah, yeah. So, um, shout out to who else? Who else to shout out? Malia, who, who's your shout out? Real oh, Facebook. Well, real I was gonna shout out Alex Hanna for what? all her hard work. <laughs> I'm gonna shout out Maliha Ahmed being amazing. Um, amazing cat co-parent. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, if you're involved with worker organizing in your area, you know, find a way, find these groups. And I mean, I think that's the way that power starts shifting away from tech companies and to you know consumers and users and and workers. Yeah. Especially because I think uh, this is like an online radio station, but the majority of your listeners are probably in the Bay, right? Yes, I I don't honestly I don't know how I don't know I don't know, um, but there are definitely I think folks who listen in the Bay Area and also folks I mean wherever you can get an internet connection you can listen in for sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, in the Bay this is like a particularly important. Um, issue to tackle um also like other places are starting up to be like this like um austin texas is going to be the next big hub of tech um as this place mm. is getting too expensive so let's move to austin and start over and pay them less mm. like, that's literally the mind <laughs> that's literally the mindset so like um yeah it's uh let's create something that other people can like we're already like for our keynote or for our solutions we can like a lot most of our keynotes come from other places where, um, you know, we stand on other people's shoulders. Let's uh, create something that other people can stand on our shoulders too. Mm. It's beautiful. Amen to <laughs> that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both so much. I've learned a lot, a hell of a lot. So from the two of you, so thank you for sharing your experiences, also your personal experiences and what you've learned as well. And I hope that uh, listeners will, I'm sure, also take away a lot of uh, information as well as uh, action items to take. Uh, very inspiring. So thank you both. Roman, you've been such a lovely interviewer. Thank you for yeah. having this wonderful platform and zero censorship. We really appreciate it. Oh, sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Roman. Have a great yeah. one. You too. Okay, so coming up next, just going to play a lot of music, maybe about eight songs, six, eight, six to eight songs in a row. And if you are interested in the names of the songs and or bands, please check out the Weekly Rev, just weeklyrev.org. There will be a link to the playlist on Spotify, so you can find all those songs there. And big thanks again to Alex and Mliha for sharing so much great information with us. And we'll be back next week. Please do check out weeklyrev.org for previous episodes, as well as mutinyradio.fm. There are great shows there every day of the week, so please do take a look. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll be back next week. Enjoy the music. Mm -hmm.
to be you, never meant to be me, never meant to be us. Never meant for all of this, never meant for you to love, never meant for you to trust. So I'll take my time next time, and I'll do it right. And I'll take my time.
Oh 
right, Mutiny Radio listener, we have some urgent news from the front, thanks to Wania Thabot of Buckskin Revolution and Season 6 of Alone. Go check her out on her YouTube. She sent me some important Community Environmental Advocates Foundation news. Canadian firm proposes opening Grass Valley Mine Public comments are due by August 17th, 2020. This is very, very time sensitive in that August 17th is next week. And Grass Valley, California, Nevada County recently announced that a long-awaited public process will begin on a controversial proposal by Canadian mining company RISE Gold Corps to reopen the historic Idaho-Maryland mine. Located in Grass Valley, the mine last operated in 1956 and shut down due to financial difficulties and diminishing production. Yet it left behind a legacy of both a legendary gold mine and a prolific amount of environmental damage. The lure of possible untapped riches has continued to this day. As recently as eight years ago, the previous owner, M-Gold Mining, abandoned its second effort to open the mine due to an inability to resolve environmental issues and exhausted financial resources. Now RASE Gold is betting on succeeding where others have failed and has submitted mining permit application documents to the Nevada County Planning Document Department. On Friday, July 17th, Nevada County released a notice of preparation that summarized the project and starts the public review process. Citizens are invited to give comments and feedback on the plan by August 17th, 2020. That's next week. There will be no virtual public hearing. Instead, the public is invited to watch a pre-recorded presentation that will be posted for viewing by July 27th. Citizens will not be able to give verbal comments, but are being asked instead to send a letter with their concerns to the county. Community Environmental Advocates Foundation members have asked the county to extend the deadline on the comment period until September 16th so that the public has adequate time to review the proposal and send in their concerns. Quote, this is a massive and complex project with a permit application of over 100 documents to serve the public interests and assure that all the potential impacts are studied, we are asking the county to provide more than the minimal 30-day review period, unquote, stated Ralph Silverstein, CEA Foundation President. According to the project documents, mining will take place 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The main access to the mine and processing facilities will be located at the 119-acre New Brunswick site, located at the corner of Brunswick and East Bennett Roads. About 1,500 tons of waste rock and tailings will be processed from the mine daily, with most of it being deposited on-site or trucked to the 56-acre former mine site on Idaho-Maryland Road west of Centennial Drive. Over the course of 11 years, these built-up engineer fill piles of mine waste will cover 75 total acres to heights up over 90 feet. They will be graded on top so that they may be utilized for future development. The mine waste will be transported by trucks making up to 100 round trips per day, 16 hours per day, seven days a week. 
quote, I don't think people have an understanding of how impactful this will be to our community. We're looking at a two gravel quarry type operations in Grass Valley built upon two sites covering a total of 75 acres, more than 100 truck trips daily, and all the noise and dust associated with that, unquote, added Silberman, Silberstein. Three years ago, a Canadian firm, Rise Gold, purchased the properties and began preparatory work. A prolonged period of exploratory drilling was a constant source of irritation to the neighbors due to the round-the-clock noise, and numerous complaints were filed. Already, conservation organizations, local residents, and community groups have expressed concerns about the mine's impact on air quality, noise, traffic, groundwater, local habitat, and threats to domestic wells in the area. The proposed highly industrial mine site is surrounded by residential neighborhoods. One major issue from the previous effort to open the mine was the impact of dewatering the miles of underground tunnels, requiring pump, pumping out 250 acre feet of groundwater into South Fork Wolf Creek initially, and then perpetually pumping after that. All of this water must be treated to rem remove pollutants. In addition to the impacts proposed, uh, of the proposed dewatering, the plan indicates that a long stretch of the creek will be encased in pipes to act as an underground storm drain for the entire property. Quote, we are concerned about the nonstop discharge of large amounts of water from the mine into the creek, unquote, stated Jonathan Keene of Wolf Creek Community Alliance. Quote, South Wolf Creek should not be treated like a storm drain, Keenan added. We are concerned about chemical pollution from mining operations and about local wells becoming com polluted or going dry. Residents of the area also expressed concern about the impact on their neighborhoods, quality of life, and home values. The proposed buildup of mine waste rock and tailings on the main Brunswick site backs up to rural residential neighborhoods where people have settled seeking peace and quiet in the natural setting amongst trees. Quote, when we bought our home, the nearby Brunswick site was zoned for light industrial, which didn't concern us. But to open this mine, they needed to rezone it, which will change the very nature of the area we live in, stated Christy Hubbard, a resident of Grass Valley. And like many of our neighbors for miles around, we live on a well that produces the sweetest water and costs practically nothing. It's not clear to me that any expert could absolutely guarantee we won't lose that. Strong local opposition to reopening mines is certainly not a new thing in Nevada County, but recent history raised the level of concern to new heights following the opening of the Siskon mine in 1995. After posting a significant bond and gaining assurances that the wells in the area were safe and the impacts of dewatering the mine, a permit was granted, only to find that within a short period of time, wells were sucked dry and rendered unusable. Quote, water is the most precious resource in our foothill communities. In the mid-1990s, as a result of the Siskon Gold Corporation operators, we lost numerous residential wells on the San Juan Ridge due to catastrophic dewatering of our aquifer, explained Sol Henson of the San Juan Ridge Taxpayers Association. This included the loss of the well at Grizzly Hill School, the primary grade school of the ridge. Since that event 25 years ago, Grizzly Hill School still has to treat its water for contaminants as a result of that mining activity. Much like the dewatering plan proposed by RISE, Siskon promised everything 
and then suddenly our wells were ruined. We hope history doesn't repeat itself, unquote. The notice of preparation is available on the county website. That's 